Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, July 28th. In today's news, the coronavirus pandemic has killed more than 10,000 children a month, but not by infecting them or attacking their lungs. Two potential coronavirus vaccines move into the last phase of testing with 30,000-person trials. And Notre Dame pulls out of hosting the first presidential debate because of safety concerns. But first, the big idea. The affluent are taking advantage of the cheapest mortgage rates in history to buy bigger homes. Meanwhile, renters face mounting job losses and fear eviction. For realtor James Deach, there is only one way to describe the real estate market right now. Totally insane. A 1950s-style three-bedroom house that he listed in late June for $200,000 in a small town outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, received 26 offers the initial weekend it was for sale. Many buyers were young couples seeking a starter home and retirees looking to downsize. But bids came in from Philadelphia, New York City, and Washington, D.C. One person was willing to pay up to $50,000 above asking. Several were offering to buy the home without inspections. While James's cell phone has been blowing up with eager buyers, Tammy Steen's phone has been buzzing for an entirely different reason. Her landlord keeps calling to demand the $700 in rent that she does not have. The 52-year-old was a hotel housekeeper at a Hampton Inn in Pensacola, Florida. Her temporary layoff now looks permanent, and she's yet to receive unemployment aid despite applying in March because the state system is overwhelmed. She's applied to countless fast food, retail, and maid jobs, but hasn't been hired. She started selling hot dogs on the side of the road to beachgoers, praying that it helps her avoid homelessness. This pandemic is exacerbating inequalities across America, especially in housing. This summer is one of the best times for home buyers ever, and one of the worst for many renters. Americans with money in the bank are buying bigger homes, while renters increasingly worry about eviction. Homes sold nationwide in April, May, and June at annualized rates of $15 million. Meanwhile, 12.6 million renters were unable to pay rent last month. Home sales are booming because Americans who have savings, stable jobs, and good credit scores are taking advantage of cheap mortgage rates to bargain shop. New mortgage applications just hit a level not seen since before the housing crisis in 2008. Sales of previously owned homes, like the one James listed in Pennsylvania, surged a record-setting 21% in June. Sales of new homes jumped 14% last month, well above expert forecasts. On the flip side, the worst downturn since the Great Depression has hit low-income workers, who are typically renters, the hardest. 60% of renter households have had at least one person in their home suffer a job or pay cut versus 45% of homeowner households, according to federal data. Evictions are widely expected to spike soon. Some economists are predicting that nearly 12 million eviction filings will be on the books by October. My colleague Heather Long talked to Tammy as she sold hot dogs on that road leading to the beach in Pensacola. Tammy is afraid to be out there because she doesn't want to get COVID-19, but she's desperate for money and feels like that's the only choice. She spent all her savings on rent. Her electricity and water are about to be cut off. She's working to get enough to keep them on. Meanwhile, last night, Senate Republicans finally released the draft of their $1 trillion plan for coronavirus relief. 
There's a lot of goodies that help the well-connected, but not as much for folks like Tammy. Under intense White House pressure, Senate Republicans agreed on Monday to allocate $1.75 billion in their bill toward the construction of a brand new state-of-the-art D.C. headquarters for the FBI a block away, Kitty Corner, from President Trump's hotel. Officials at Trump's company had raised concern about a competing hotel possibly being built in place of the Hoover building should the FBI relocate to the suburbs. So Trump killed the plan to move the FBI to the suburbs and demanded a new building be built there. Concerns over Trump using the government to pursue his own financial interests have prompted the Justice Department's Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, to launch an investigation of the decision-making that led to the cancellation of the original plan, which had been in the works for several years. That investigation remains ongoing more than a year later. The Inspector General's office confirmed last night a spokeswoman declined to comment further. Democrats were sharply critical of the White House's priorities in the coronavirus bill. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer noted that there is no money for food assistance or election security or funding for state and local governments or hazard pay for essential frontline workers, but there is money for the FBI building that Trump wants. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Republican from Kentucky, has said this bill will likely represent the last major legislative response by congressional Republicans to the pandemic. McConnell's bill includes as a centerpiece a five-year liability shield aimed at preventing businesses, universities, schools, and hospitals from being sued for five years over coronavirus-related damages. The GOP legislation also offers a 100% deduction on business meal expenses through the end of 2020 to help out high-end restaurants. Experts note that few businesses are paying for their employees to eat out right now, but Trump started pushing for this after he got a phone call in March from celebrity chef Wolfgang Puck asking for this as a favor. Several GOP senators got other goodies that they wanted to secure their votes for the bill. New parts of the legislation includes a proposal from Lindsey Graham in South Carolina aimed at bringing production lines back to the U.S. from China. Legislation by John Cornyn from Texas that would increase incentives for advanced chip manufacturing inside the U.S., and a measure by Rob Portman from Ohio that would address intellectual property theft at federally funded research centers. That won't help Tammy for now. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, over 1,000 new coronavirus fatalities were recorded in America on Monday. At least 145,000 of our fellow Americans have now succumbed to the contagion. One of the latest victims is a physician from Baltimore who headed the intensive care unit at the Mercy Medical Center there. Dr. Joseph Costa, who was chief of the critical care division at the hospital, died this weekend in the same ICU he supervised. He was attended by his partner of 28 years and about 20 staff members who placed their hands on him as he breathed his final breaths. Joseph was 56. David Hart, his husband, described the moment as painfully surreal he says it was hard having his partner die in his arms, surrounded by the people he supervised and worked with for so long. The pandemic is having a lot of indirect effects that have not gotten nearly enough attention as well. A brand new study out today in the influential Lancet Medical Journal says that the contagion has released a tidal wave of childhood hunger and malnutrition that will have long-lasting consequences for education, growth, and risk of disease. As the virus and related lockdown orders have disrupted trade routes, closed markets, and isolated millions from food and medicine, 
This new analysis shows that 128,000 additional children under the age of five will die during the first year of the outbreak from it. They believe more than 10,000 kids a month have already been dying. Modeling food supplies in 118 countries, the experts found that measures to contain the virus from social distancing and school closures to lockdowns and closed borders have pushed communities already stricken with hunger and other woes past the brink. More than half of all deaths were in sub-Saharan Africa and in war-torn Yemen. The study was accompanied by an urgent call for action from the heads of several UN agencies, including the World Health Organization and UNICEF, who urged global leaders to contribute at least $2.4 billion immediately to address hunger. The UN says governments worldwide must do more to safeguard access to fresh, nutritious foods and scale up services for the detection and treatment of a phenomenon known as wasting. That condition, a form of malnutrition that results in spindly limbs and distended bellies, can cause permanent damage to children's mental and physical health. Since the start of the outbreak, wasting is affecting more than 550,000 additional children each month. Number two, two potential coronavirus vaccines are moving into the last phase of testing with 30,000-person trials. Tony Fauci, the government's leading infectious disease expert, said yesterday that he's cautiously optimistic about the candidate developed by Moderna in collaboration with the NIH. Meanwhile, the New York Times reports today that Trump announced last week that he was throwing the first pitch at a Yankees game in August because he was jealous that Fauci got to throw out the first pitch before a Washington Nationals game. An hour before Fauci threw that first pitch at the season opener in Washington, Trump stood on the briefing room stage at the White House and declared that he too had been invited to throw out his own opening pitch. But the Times reports that Trump had not actually been invited on that day by the Yankees, and his announcement surprised both Yankees officials and White House staff. But Trump had been so annoyed by Fauci's turn in the limelight that he directed aides to call Yankee officials. After the president's announcement, White House aides scrambled to let the team know that the president was actually booked on August 15th and already had plans. That was the day Trump said he was going to New York without consulting with anybody. Then, on Sunday night, Trump tweeted that he had decided not to throw the opening pitch after all, even though he hadn't been invited. The Times reports that Fauci, again, the top infectious disease expert in the government, has been marginalized in ways that actually harm public health because of Trump's jealousy. He's been excluded from a new group of White House officials that meets on the virus, led by Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law. And in a sign that it'll be a while before things return to normal, despite the ongoing vaccine trials, Google announced yesterday that it will not bring back its 200,000 employees into the office until July of 2021, that makes the parent company Alphabet the first major U.S. company to push its office comeback into the second half of next year. Number three, Mary Trump, whose best-selling book calls her Uncle Donald Trump the world's most dangerous man, said in an interview with The Post yesterday that she plans to do everything in her power to elect Joe Biden as president, but said she hasn't talked to his campaign just yet. In the new book, Mary Trump quotes Marianne Barry Trump, the president's sister, a former federal judge, saying that Donald Trump is a, quote, clown who could never get elected. Asked yesterday whether Marianne knew her quotes would be in the book, Mary Trump said that they came from conversations that took place before she planned to write it. She said she hasn't talked to her aunt since the book was published and said she wouldn't be surprised if they never speak again. Mary Trump, who's 55, was trained as a clinical psychologist and says she believes her uncle is fundamentally unfit to serve. 
She also wrote in her book that a friend of Trump named Joe Shapiro took the SAT for him to enable Trump to get admitted to the University of Pennsylvania. She acknowledged in the interview that she does not know who that person is and proof has not emerged. Asked whether Marianne was the source who told her that anecdote, she declined to confirm it, but said it came from somebody in the family who had absolutely no reason to make it up. Meanwhile, also in New York, Trump's lawyers said a subpoena for his tax records amounts to harassment. The president's latest attempt to shield his financial records comes as Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. seeks to accelerate his investigation into hush money payments made to two women during the 2016 campaign who alleged extramarital affairs with Trump as he was married to First Lady Melania Trump. This follows a major Supreme Court ruling earlier this month that found Trump's status as a sitting president does not make him immune to investigation by local authorities. Trump's civil complaint seeks to block Vance from obtaining Trump's records through a subpoena to his accounting firm, Mazars USA. His lawyers, barred by the Supreme Court's 7-2 ruling from arguing presidential immunity, are now challenging the subpoena's legality in other ways. Vance's office is investigating whether the Trump organization falsified business records to conceal the hush money payments made to porn stars Stormy Daniels and former Playboy model Karen McDougal. Back to the coronavirus, the presidential debate in September will be moved to Ohio from Indiana after the University of Notre Dame withdrew from hosting the event last night over concerns about the safety of holding a large-scale public event during the pandemic. Instead, the debate will now be held on a shared health campus of Case Western Reserve University and the Cleveland Clinic. Reached by phone, Bill Lubinger, a spokesman for Case Western, declined to say why the Cleveland institutions believe they can host a safe event when Notre Dame has concluded it cannot. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, July 28th. We're doing a listener survey, as I've mentioned a couple times, to assess our whole suite of podcasts, and we would love to get your thoughts. To share your feedback, please go to WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. All one word. Tell us what you like, what you don't, how we can better serve you. Again, that's WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. As always, thank you for listening. I'm James Homan. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>